All right, so here we go. Now, week one was this, okay? It's this. It's that we all are so sure that we know who God is, but, but there's a problem. What happens is if we begin to compare the image that each of us has of God, all of a sudden we find out that these images don't line up. At this one church, they're singing about God who is the bride, and it's intimate. He wants to hug them, and he wants to kiss them. At this other church, they're singing about God who is a creator, and he's made all things. He's above all things. He's before all things. At this other church, they're singing about God who is the Savior, and his blood is, 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 is the theme. We're talking about sin and overcoming and forgiveness and grace. And then again, at this other church, you have this idea where you have God who is, if you would, he's at work through the Spirit. And so the Spirit is present, and it's all about the Holy Spirit showing up. And it moves things, and there's healings and signs and wonders. But if you sit back, all of a sudden you go, okay, I think these might be the same gods, but if I didn't know any better, I wouldn't know. Because the way this person talks about God and the way this person talks about God, they're slightly similar, but they're just not the same. Agreed? If you went down the street to the Baptist church this Sunday, the songs that they sing, the sermons that are taught will be similar to here, but just slightly different. If you go to the Word of Faith church, it's going to be very similar, but slightly different. If you go to the Catholic church, everyone's like, oh no, don't even say it. There will be some similarities. So what do you do with that, right? Well, what most of us do, and this is what we talked about last week, what most of us do is we go, well, I know that these guys talk about God this way and these people that way. And, you know, you know the charismatics are just all about that Holy Spirit stuff and the Romans... Roman Catholics are all about the Eucharist and smoke and, you know, weird stuff. And the Baptists just, we don't want to go to hell if you're a Baptist, right? So, so what do we do? And so what we all do is this. We all find a group that kind of fits our image of God. It feels comfortable. And we just find a way to say, well, I don't know what to do with them, but I know that God's like this. And slowly but surely, this process of kind of huddling up with people who see God the way that we do, we slowly begin to nudge ourselves to a place where we don't really believe that God is like those people say. And, you know, he's not really like the way that those charismatics with the tambourines, no, he's not really like that. And he's not really like the Roman Catholics with the, um, with the incense and with the, the priests. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves saying that God only looks the way I think God looks. Do you see how this process starts? And it starts innocently. And so what happens here is that we begin to worship only the parts of God that we are comfortable with, only the aspects of God that we've experienced, uh, only the parts of Him that we know of Him. Uh, I had the joke last week about, you know, if I went to a, uh, to a gospel meeting, I'm not sure that I would be comfortable with the hooping and the holler and the beat, right? See, already you guys are very uncomfortable. See? That's way too much moving, way too much grooving, way too much noise, right? And so it's uncomfortable. So the response of mine is to say, 
yeah, that's okay for you to do, but secretly, inwardly, I'm saying, I don't think that's really God. And all that singing the boyfriend Jesus stuff, hug me, kiss me. I'm a man, he's a man. I don't. The ladies can sing that chorus, but I'm going to sit this one out. But this is what we do, and we all do it. We all do this. We, we all do this. We're all guilty of this. And so the hardest process is for us to be willing to step outside of our boxes, to be willing to, if you would, to, to meet God on his own terms, if you would, to search him out in places that we would not want to search him out. The hardest part of this is to do that without losing ourselves, meaning it's a very difficult thing for us to begin to question the way that we see God without the entire world just going upside down and us just losing it. Now, the book of Acts shows this in detail because for the Jews, you're talking about centuries of following a God who looked a certain way, which, by the way, that God was one God. He is one God. And then there's this man who shows up and says, well, yeah, he's God, but guess what? I'm his son. Well, there's lots of problems with this. First of all, no, you're not, because I know the place where you're born, so you're not God. But secondly, God's only one. God's not two. Hear me. This is a big problem for Jews. God is not two. God is one. God's definitely not three in one. That's heresy, my friends. So you're telling me that this God who's been showing himself to my people for thousands of years is not the way he said he was. And you're going to tell me that you're God, Jesus. And now you're going to tell me that we have been told by God, supposedly your father, for thousands of years that he wants us to stay away from Gentiles. We have to stay away from those foods. We have to dress a certain way. We have to wash a certain way. And now you're telling us that, yes, but no. And now you're telling us everything that we know about God is kind of right, but now kind of wrong. And now you're telling me that I have spent my entire life devoting myself to this God, and you're telling me that now I have to change. So you told me my entire life that God, that Christians do not drink alcohol, we do not vote Democrat, we do not listen to music with cuss words in it. Come on now, right? That's what you were taught. Agreed? You do not wear clothes that show cleavage. Come on now. This sounds an awful lot like Judaism here, okay? Sounds an awful lot like it. And we do not hang out with those sinners, which a Jew would call a Gentile, by the way. Sounds very familiar to things that they were having problems with. And so you're telling me that this God that I know, and I've known this God, you know what, because the God that I know, I know him. And if you're right, how come then my, my buddy and my buddy's buddy and my family and the people that I've known for 100 years, how come everyone that I know says that God is the way that I say he is and you're saying he's different? Who am I going to trust? What do you do with that? So here's the process I want to show you a little bit about this. Um, we called this last week walking on water, meaning when you are willing to step out of the boat, if you would, 
When, when you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone of who you think God is and, if you would, how He wants to relate to you, it feels a lot like walking on water, which means what? It's dangerous, it's scary, it's, I mean, like you fill in the blank, right? We use the image of the waterbed. Who had a waterbed back in like the 90s and 80s? Yeah, you guys are like, oh, yeah. You had back problems all the time too, didn't you? No, I'm just kidding. No, those things are amazing. I love those things. Now, it's like this. The process of being willing to step outside of your comfort zone to meet God on his terms, if you would, to find out who God really is, it feels a lot like trying to balance yourself on a waterbed. Just kind of picture it, right? Right? So when you put too much weight on this foot, all of a sudden, right? And then you try to counterbalance, and it's like that, correct? And so every time you try to balance your weight, try to center yourself, it seems to send the waves moving more and more. Here's what happens in this process. There are four steps, if you would, and uh, we should have to have this on the screen. The first step is this, construction, meaning the first step of this process is where we construct our, our ideas of who God is. And what this is, is you construct your ideas of God the first moment, situations that you begin to think about God. So if you got saved at a, uh, at a revival tent meeting, that is where construction started for you. So every sermon that you heard, every hymn that you sang, everything the pastor told you, everything a mentor or a friend, everything that they told you about God was the moment that you were constructing, you're building your idea of who God was. Now, we understand this. We understand that whoever first tells us about anything, they become the authority. So, when you were in kindergarten and little Jimmy told you that babies came from belly buttons, okay, he was the authority. And for anyone to tell you otherwise, it was going to take a lot of convincing. It doesn't matter that your mom has had a baby. She's not right. It's Jimmy who's right. Right? If you guys have kids, right, this is, this is so annoying. Stop hanging out with that stupid kid. I mean, really. I mean, come on, parents, anybody? There's that dumb kid who tells your kid dumb things, and your kid's like, no, you don't know anything. Jimmy's five. He knows everything. Right? You're like, Jimmy's an idiot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not your kid, I promise. Um, and so it's so frustrating. You're like, no, 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 no. I know that Jimmy told you, but here's the truth. But the problem is this. The first images, the first ideas that we construct are the hardest to remove. Okay? And the hardest thing about God is wherever we first were, if you would, born into Christ. You know, the first church, the first mentor, the first pastor, those ideas that they told you is the first construction of your understanding of God. And those will be the hardest to mess with. It doesn't matter if that person was right or wrong. It doesn't matter, if, you know, if that pastor, mentor, friend had sound theology, bad theology, was educated, not educated, it doesn't matter. Those ideas and experiences are now cemented. And for anyone to move or to mess with that is going to be difficult for you. So what happens is, the next step is called deconstruction. Now, deconstruction happens whenever we encounter something that challenges the way that we see God. 
Let me think about one for myself. Um, I remember that I was always taught that Catholics, this is bad. <laughs> it wasn't Pastor Larry who taught me this, okay? It's the church environment I grew up in. I, you know, I have to say this every Sunday. It wasn't Pastor Larry. It was just the environment I grew up in. I was always taught that Catholics were not Christians and that, that they're actually kind of dangerous. Like, the Antichrist is probably going to be a pope. Like, that's what I was taught. It's going to be a Russian pope, okay? <laughs> and so the first time that I met a Catholic who, when I sat down with this person, exhibited a, a faith and a love for God that really challenged me. And I was like, how can this person love God and even know God if they're getting it all wrong? And it, and it, and it, and it forces that little, ah, oh, there's tension there. And deconstruction is when you begin to encounter God, you find God in places that you never thought that you would find Him. The Gospels is a long story of finding God in places that, 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 that He wasn't supposed to be found. John 1. In the beginning, the Word became flesh. Pause. That is a problem for all Jews. That is a place that they're not supposed to find God. That's ridiculous. Why in the world is God going from there to here? What is the point of that? And then all of a sudden, God, Jesus, is eating with sinners and tax collectors, with prostitutes. Jesus eats at Bricktown Brewery. <laughs> Come on. The mess with you somehow. Finding God in places that you're not supposed to find Him. And you go, Oh, that's just not right. That's not what I was taught about Jesus. I had, uh, it was very frustrating for me. And so when you have this encounter, you have a choice. Am I going to let this, if you would, start shaking me, or am I going to just pull away from it? Most of us choose to pull away from it because it's just safer. It is. It's just safer. Now, let me kind of confirm that. If you think that the idea of having to find God outside of the places that you found him is a dangerous thing, you are absolutely right. It's very dangerous. Because as you begin to find God outside of the places which, which you've already found him, it, it's going to begin pulling you and changing you and transforming you, and it's going to begin to affect you and affect your life. Being willing to, if you would, find God and encounter Him for who He really is, is one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do. One of the safest things you could ever do as a Christian is to, if you would, get saved, say a prayer, and go to the most comfortable church that you can find that, that you like and everyone agrees with you, and hang out there for the rest of your life. Tithe, serve a little bit. That is the safest, smartest move if you want to not let God mess with you. I highly recommend that. If you are someone who is afraid of God, then I would never be willing to step out of the boat, ever. I would surround myself with everyone who agrees with me, and I would find a pastor who says everything that I love. So you definitely you know, shouldn't come to Grace Church, I'm just saying. Um, just find a comfortable place that's not going to rock the boat. 
Now, on the other hand, if that's not what you want, then I would pursue this process. So deconstruction is when we begin to find God in places and ways that we never thought that we could ever find him and allow it to begin to shake the way that we saw him. It begins to reform, if you would, our images and our ideas, the constructs of who God is, the picture of who God is for us. It begins to reform it. Now, in this process, um, I'll say this. If your God cannot keep your attention, meaning if the image of God that you have is able to be tucked away into parts of your life, and it doesn't, if you would, disrupt all of your life, it's time for you to break the box that you've put him in. If your God is so small that he's become comfortable, tame, safe, if your God is not wrecking with your life, and that sounds terrible. I understand that's not what you've been taught about God. But read the epistles. Read the gospels. Read what Jesus does to Paul's life. Wrecks his life in the best way possible. Hopefully. When you encounter everything that God is, he should have your full attention. He should infiltrate every part of your life. There should not be any part of your life that is not directly centered and, and, and formed and influenced by him. But if you, if you were honest this morning, most of us have an image of God that we can put safely into certain parts of our life and keep out of other parts of our life. For most of us, it's possible to be a Christian and then to live our lives. If you would read the Gospels and the Epistles, you'll see that it is not possible to fully follow Jesus and have anything else outside of him. Everything is consumed by him unless we choose to not let him. Feel good yet? Anybody excited? Awesome. <laughs> so, once the shaking begins to start in your life, it will feel as if there's nothing that's stable. Again, Waterbed, okay? You're, you're constantly trying to adjust yourself. You're constantly trying to balance. And the more that you bounce, the more that things get out of whack. It feels very unsafe. Most everyone who I've, who I've tried to pastor or, or be a friend through this process in is just feeling very raw and frustrated and confused. It's a very unsafe place to be in. And so in this process, we have to do something. It's called anchoring. Picture a ship that's out in in rough seas. You have to anchor yourself into something. And what this is, is that as we are beginning to allow God, if you would, to, to, to shatter the, the small image and box that we put him in, as this is happening, it's, it's a very frustrating process. We have to anchor ourselves into three things. Into God revealed in Jesus, which that's a load right there, to the Spirit of God, and also to the community of God which we call the church. The most dangerous thing is to go searching for God on your own. It's a very scary, frustrating process. And so we anchor ourselves in God revealed in Jesus, meaning no matter what I discover about God, I know that the ultimate image of who God is is God revealed in Jesus. This is going to be a Jesus-looking God no matter what I do or, if he would, where I find him. 
Secondly, I'm not going alone. I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit to reveal, to teach me, to guide me, to counsel me in this process. And I'm not just going to stop there. I'm going to build strong relationships with people who can hold me accountable, who can ask hard questions, who can be there for me whenever I'm confused. And, I, and well, this verse, and what's this mean? And, what's, and how about this idea? And, and so what do you think about this? I'm going to have people who are going to keep me grounded in the process. And after I'm anchored, it's time, after I've come to a place where I have these old ideas of God and these new ideas of God, I have to go through something called a reconstruction, which means I have these, I've encountered God in this powerful new way. When I was a kid, um, one of the main ways that we encountered God was, was, was the Holy Spirit, the idea of, the, of, of, of God showing up through uh, spiritual giftings, whether you're laying hands on someone or, you know, you have a special idea or a special uh, message from God for someone. It was a very exciting thing to be a part of. And there were people who would come into our church who were taught that God didn't move that way. And for the select few who were willing to, if you would, let God break out of that box for them, it was very difficult. So how do I understand when God, when this happens? And so what's it mean when someone falls out on the ground and you're praying for them? I go, Yeah, I, you know, I can try to explain that. but And so there's things, it's just, uh. And so reconstruction is where we hold on to this new, uh, if you would, these new areas, new ways that we've found God. But we also begin to pull from the old. And we have to find out how can I take the places that I know God is and also now add it to the new places that I found God. It's a very difficult process. So, what this brings us to is this. Okay, we understand the process. We understand that most of us have a very small image of God. But what's it look like? How do we actually begin to build our, our image of God? How do we let God be bigger? How do we let God be who He is? Now, the first place that I think that we have to look, if you would, we have to look to our side. Meaning, the first place that we begin to discover God in new ways is through the relationships around us. Now, this is a very interesting kind of a, a thing, but in this process, you... How do you put this? Let me put this in the language that kind of makes more sense for us. This is taking the testimony of others seriously. How about that? Meaning... When someone else comes and they have their story of how they met God, how God has changed them, how God has moved them, who, you know, who God is to them, we actually listen. We actually chew on it for a little bit. See, what I used to do was when the, when the person started talking, every point that lined up with my story, I was like, yes, oh, that's awesome. And then every point that didn't line up with my stars, like, okay, I'll have to teach them later. That's not how God really, okay, okay, ooh, ooh, well, you know, God doesn't really do that. And, oh, okay, and so I was constantly waiting for the chance to mold their testimony, their story of God in their life. I was constantly finding ways to mold it to fit my story. Does that make sense at all for anybody? Let me step on some toes. I've been too nice today. 
I'm constantly trying to find things that don't line up with my worldview, and I call it fake, like fake news or something. Fun now? Both sides do it. Both sides do it. Okay, doesn't matter what side you're on. We all do it. If someone says something that doesn't line up with how I understand, that's, that's fake news. That's not real. That's a, no, that, that's not really, that's emotionalism. That, that's not really, that's new age hippie thinking. That's what that is. Or even better, how about this? You guys ready? The L word. Oh, he's just liberal. How about that? What these are, these are ways for us to protect ourselves from having to take other people's testimony, if you would, their witness, their encounter with God seriously. I find ways to say, I don't really have to consider what you have to say because you're wrong anyway, because it doesn't line up with mine. Now, if you guys have studied the book of Acts, this happens when Peter... When Peter has this vision, he has this vision of the sheet that's being let down, and there's these animals that are on the sheet, and he's told by God to go eat these animals. And these are animals that are considered unclean for Jews to eat. And as he's watching these animals on the sheet, he's saying, God, what does this mean? I, you know, I'm a Jew. I can't eat these unclean things. He comes to understand that this vision he had was God's way of showing Peter that Gentiles are now going to be fully included in the body of Christ. And that in his life, he was taught that he was not allowed to even to enter the home of a Gentile. And then all of a sudden, he has this vision, and someone shows up at the door. And it's a messenger. And it's a messenger who's trying to take Peter to the house of a Gentile. He goes to the house of a Gentile, and then all of a sudden, God shows up. He finds God in a place God wasn't supposed to be, with people he's not supposed to be with, doing things with people he's not supposed to be doing. And Peter has a problem with this. And so he sees the Holy Spirit come on these Gentiles without, the Gen without Jews praying for them. It's a big no-no. And so it's such a big deal, they have to hold a church council meeting where all the apostles meet in a group, and the Apostle Paul's going, you're all stupid. Have you not seen that God is moving the Gentiles? This is, the, yes, it's, it's the same God, he's just doing a new thing. You just haven't caught up to him yet. And so they're arguing, they're going back and forth, back and forth, and then... Peter has to kind of share his story. Well, I had a vision, and I saw this and this. And it, and, it, and it was something that dragged in the church for over 50 years, this fight over the inclusion of Gentiles. Again, what this really was, was the unwillingness to allow God to be God. Every single one of you in this room has ways in which we hold God back. We confine him. We, we lock him in closets. We chain him down. We try to keep him tame and, and safe. If the God that you worship, if he looks like you, sounds like you, votes like you, cares about people who are like you, the odds are is that you're worshiping an image of yourself, not God. Let that sit with you for a second. Here's the truth. Every one of us is worshiping a God right now who has a little bit of our image on him. Now, if you guys have been paying attention in these previous series we've done, one of the main ideas, the central themes of the Scriptures, 
is that we would be people made in the image of God who would worship the image of God. And as we, if you would, as we encounter who God is, this is Genesis 1, 2, and 3, as we encounter who God is, everywhere we go, the image of God is being seen. Now, in the language of Paul, with unveiled faces, as we all um, behold, as we all see Jesus, the word he says there is the Lord, we will all be transformed into his likeness. As we see him, we are transformed into his image. And then everywhere that we go, the entire world sees who? His image. Here's the problem. If your back is to him and if you are surrounded by people like you, it is very easy for you to be worshiping a God who is now made into your image. You don't believe me? Well, in Chicago, if I go with some of my classmates, the God that they worship in their church, he only votes Democrat. He is liberal to the max. He's hanging out with, you know, with gay people all the time, and you don't like it. See how quiet we got? If I sit down with you at lunch, the God you worship, he watches Fox News. He loves Trump, hangs out with him all the time in the Oval Office. And he is conservative to the max. He rides an elephant. <laughs> of course, this guy, he rides a donkey, but I won't say anything about that, right? <laughs> but yet, both sides love God. And both sides are convinced that they know God. So what gives? And the only response that most of us gives is this. They're wrong. Because you've spent hours in prayer and fasting about this, haven't you? You've spent years studying the Scriptures, haven't you? No, but I know they're wrong. And so the first place that we have to begin to encounter God in, in new ways is in the relationships. I'll be doing an entire series on this in the future, but the Apostle Paul saw that the church is the place that God is to be revealed. It is in the beauty of the church in the book of Acts is that people who always had division, people who had hatred between them, people who had language and culture barriers were always separated. But in Jesus, people who would never be in the same room are now in the same room. And in this place where we come from different backgrounds, different ideas, different incomes, different educations, different politics, we sit down and we bring our images of God. I say, okay, here's who I've found God to be, and it's transformed my life. And someone says, well, here's who I found God to be, it transformed my life. And you go, ah! And in this place where we begin to sit together and we are, if you would, bound together, handcuffed together <laughs> by the Lordship of Jesus, we can't leave the room. It is in this process where we begin to learn from each other. Now, in the passage um, in Ephesians, if you guys, I know it was long, but uh, in verse 12, it says, uh, it talks about how the, the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they exist to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of God. Meaning what? We don't have unity. We don't agree yet on the knowledge of who God is. Does that make sense? 
Okay, it takes work. It takes people who are gifted to help us in this process. And then uh, it even goes on. It says, um, attain to the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Here's the definition of maturity. Maturity in this, in this passage is this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. So, so maturity in this passage is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I, I, this, this language is beautiful. Attaining to the whole measure, meaning getting all of it, meaning we get all of all that Christ is. Does that make more sense? So maturity is getting all of all that Christ is, which, by the way, that's a lot. He goes on to explain this. And then uh, he goes on and says, you know, in this process, when we get there, you, you guys won't, uh, you won't be babies anymore. That's good, right? We won't, won't be infants anymore. Uh, in verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. That actually means doing it in love, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not, you know, speaking truth. Anyways. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Stop there. Are you seeing this? Meaning, as we come into unity under Jesus, who's the head, what grows and builds the church? We do. As we come into unity under, under Christ, we are the ones who begin to build the church up because of this. Okay, he wouldn't have to warn you to speak the truth in love if this, you know, if this process was going to be easy. We're silent. He wouldn't have to warn you, hey, by the way, this is going to be hard. You know why? Because the people in the room shouldn't be like you. Okay, I don't need to warn you to speak the truth in love if I put you in the room with everyone who agrees with you. Does that make sense? Okay, if you love hymns, and I put you in a church that sings hymns, I'm not going to need to warn you, hey, if, if you don't like the music, you know, just be kind about it. If you love hymns, and you go to a church that sings rock music, I'm going to have to warn you, hey, it might be a little difficult. If you've been taught that God is the sovereign creator above all things, and that he, he hates sin, and that it's important for you to repent, and then you sit in a room with someone who believes that, that Jesus is all about the lowly and the forgotten. And he's all about intimacy and relationship and breaking bread together. I'm going to have to warn you to what? Be kind. Speak the truth in what? Love. And guess what? He's saying that to both sides. Hey, hippie tree hugger, okay? Be nice to the guy who wants to shoot everything. Okay, okay, just be nice, all right? And, and of course, on the other side, conservative. When you sit down, you know, with the, with the hyper-liberal, guess what? Be nice. Both sides, because there's something that you need to learn. There is a God, there is an image of God that you're missing that the other side brings. And you will never get it until you surround yourself with what? People who are not like you. What's funny is, I've actually said this to one crowd before that was even quieter than you guys. At a pastor's conference, he said, oh, Holy Spirit told us that you have a word. Pastor Devin, would you share it? I said, yeah. On your staffs, if you have people who are like you and say yes to everything, fire them. 
Find people who drive you nuts, who see God in a way that frustrates you, who, who, who you know love God or devote to God, but everything else about them is just so frustrating. Hire those people. Surround yourself with them. Crickets. And they took the microphone and said, what he was trying to say was, This is the biggest place that we begin to find God is in each other. There's some more places that we'll talk about uh, next week, but this is the hardest. We have to learn to take, if you would, the witness, the testimony, the stories of each other seriously. When someone walks in and says that here is who God is to me, I have to assume that God is in there. Now, if in the process of sitting down, if it doesn't line up with what God revealed in Jesus, if it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, you go, hey, you know, I'm in a relationship with you anyway. But more often than not, you will find God in people in ways that you would never imagine. And it will change you if you let it. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. And so in this process for all of us, it's difficult. I think the first thing that this process requires of all of us is honesty. Um, there was a, an experience I had, and I, yeah, I hate to use that language, but there was a, just something that I went through in my life that really changed the game for me. It, it, was, it was so serious, it was so real, that it made me unwilling to waste time with anything else in my life that wasn't real. And so the way that that affected my walk with God was that everything in my life that wasn't real, every, every way of God that just had a plastic exterior, that just seemed a little fake or a little empty, a little shallow, I had to question it. I had to let it shake. I had to you know, allow it to be tested, if you would. And from that moment on, I was willing to let God lead me places that I didn't ever think I would find him. And there's about five or six years of that, of just building a relationship with people and reading books and going places that I never thought I ever would have done in my life. In every single place, I would find God in a new way, and it would challenge and stretch me and just make me so... But the depth, the you would, the size of God in my life is bigger than it's ever been before. The problem is this God now is so big and so real, I can't hide from him anymore. I can't lock him into Sundays or, or I can't put him into my prayer closet. He's too big, you know. Oh, it's funny for charismatics, okay. You know, I, you know, I can't fit him in my back pocket, you know, uh, next to my fire insurance salvation card anymore. You know, I just, I can't. He's now too big. He's too real. I have to now respond to who he really is. And this is the heart of what it is to be willing to meet God for who he really is. Let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we just come to you this morning and if we've gotten too comfortable with you, if, we, if, if we've tamed you too much, if we've, if we've turned the Lion of Judah into a house cat, Holy Spirit, we ask that, that uh, you'd convict us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us uh, to just be able to see every part of our lives where we're just not willing to even consider. We're not even willing to talk about it. If there are ideas of you or 
thoughts of you or practices or certain types of churches or certain ministers, if there are things that are just hot buttons, we just, we won't even talk about, won't even consider it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work. It is your role on the earth to reveal Christ. And we ask that you would begin to work in those, those rigid parts of us to prepare us to step out of the boat, prepare us to be hungry enough, be willing enough to risk the comfort of our lives, to know you more, to love you more, to serve you more, to understand you more. So we just ask that that work will be done by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name.